Alexa, play Africa by Toto. Africa by Toto from Spotify. <laughs> this is so good. Okay, stop, Alexa, stop. Two white men. Is it working? Alexa, stop. You have to address her first. All oh, right. First thing. <laughs> Respect. From a very good hotel room in Sydney. This is the arbitration station. With Brian Kotick and Joel Talkus Kubori. And we are, or I am at least, surprisingly not jet lagged at all. I thought that would be the hard part, but so far, and really, I'm jinxing it now, but I feel like on top of the world. Joel's a champ, everyone. He was out at the, the mingling events and not even, well, you took a little bit of a nap, but you were up early and ran. I'm, pr I'm very impressed with your travel skills. Yeah, I think I've just been lucky so far, and it's gonna hit like later tonight once. The ICA Congress gets going, and we go to the Sydney Opera House and have cocktails, and everything formally begins. That's when I'll just hit a wall and probably crash yeah. during the the violin concerto. Yeah, exactly, Pass that. <laughs> during the solo. Do you know who designed the Sydney Opera House? Klaus von Wobbeser. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, such a good architect name. No, it was a Dane, actually. Which I'm going to use this as a trivia all night. It's going to be my icebreaker in the... You're such a nerd. <laughs> Do you know who designed the Arbrows? Jörg something. I have to look it up. Who designed it? Yeah. Oh, but he was Danish. Yeah, he was Danish. That's all I know. Uh, yeah. But I need more trivia. That's a bad icebreaker if that's all I have. You're just going to ask trivia questions all night? Yeah. Yeah. I've been doing that on Twitter now. I when know. is a door not a door? <laughs> when it's a jar. Have you heard that? No. <laughs> That's not trivia. But before we get on, let's thank everyone who got us here. Let's thank young arbitrators of Sweden. No. Well, Gro Grown-up arbitrators. Grown-up arbitrators of Swedish Sweden. Arbitration Association. They paid for us for the to get us over here. Yeah, thank you very much. And thank you to Manhammer Sparkling for paying for our registration. Yeah, and thank you, Ika, for setting this up. Yes. Uh, we will have... It's like a double-digit number of conversations at this point, 10 or 12 or something, yeah. interviews with very interesting people who are, of course, here in Sydney for the ICA Congress, much like we are. So uh, we haven't really figured out how to do it podcast-wise, if we are going to publish every Tuesday still, or if we're just going to do a bunch of ICA-themed episode one, two, three yeah. specific. I don't know. We'll, we'll figure out a way to do it, depending on how long and interesting the conversations are. Right. Uh, but that's not why we're here uh, today. No. This this uh, episode will air one when Ika is, is ongoing. But the focus of this episode and the reason that we got Toto to introduce us is that we are doing sort of a themed episode today. We are. We're going to the sub-Saharan continent of Africa, which is why Joel had his wonderful Alexa introduction. <clears throat> but we will we will be having two interviews actually. The first one will be with Leo Tamaru, who um, is the organizer, inventor, creator of IR, but which is a online platform which kind of com compiles all of the um, information and resources that are available for arbitration in Africa. So a lot of people that are getting into this arbitration in Africa conversation, we really urge you to check out this website. 
They also have a podcast, which we talk about, a little cross-promotion here. So um, there is an IR podcast available on iTunes. It's just getting started, but it's very good quality and has some good interviews. Way more professional than this podcast. There's a good production quality. Yeah. But that's because we're not institutionalized. We're very ad hoc here. We're very unsutral. Yeah. Brian is literally in shorts in his hotel bed, <laughs> sipping instant coffee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Glamorous life. You thought we were on the top of some tower, but no. Yeah. No, I'm in my in my gym. Shirt. And then we also have another uh, conversation with a person based in an African jurisdiction, Isaiah Bozimo, who is a practicing lawyer in Nigeria. And formally, this is part of the uh, place of arbitration series. Exactly. So we talked to him mostly about Nigeria and the arbitration community. He is based, as a matter of fact, not in Lagos, the commercial capital and also the prime center for arbitration in Nigeria, but in, in Abuja, which is the, the capital. But this is something we'll, we'll develop as we talk to Isaiah. And then we have Happy Fun Time featuring my favorite part of the arbitration station, which is Joel quizzes Brian on something that Brian has not prepared. <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> Um, but what's the theme of it? The theme is law firm rankings, and uh, we'll talk about this because, as most practicing lawyers would know, many people live and breathe by these uh, various institutionalized uh, rankings of individuals and law firms. And the reason we're talking about it now is that we are unintentionally doing some unpaid promotion for Global Arbitration Review. They, of course, have the GAR 30, which is the annual ranking of the busiest arbitration practices is that what they call it, busiest? Um, I think so. I yeah. think that's the, the technically how they frame it. We'll, we'll get into this. Uh, this is part of you not preparing, <laughs> that you don't know what we're talking about. So I'm going to ask you about which firms do you think are on the top 30 and in what, what order, basically. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I'm really passionate about rankings because basically in the U.S. that's all colleges are based off of, which is all what law schools are based off of, which is all what your life is based off, really. Yeah, and now you have Tinder as well, so now you can even rank, like, people. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and super like people. So that's our show for today and enjoy it while you can because the next few shows will be very much focused on what's going on in Sydney in 2018. Let's hear from Leo on in IARB. So I'm sitting here with Leo Tamaru who is the founder of a organization and also a website, a wealth of information called IARB Africa, and it's IARBAfrica.com. How are you doing today? I'm very well, Brian. Thank you so much. And where are, I mean, I'm in Stockholm and it's freezing cold, but I assume that you are in a bit of a sunnier, warmer place. Oh, it's, it's super sunny here in Nairobi. <laughs> no, um, but you're not... But are you based out of Nairobi? No, I'm not. I'm, I'm based out of Addis, um, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. But I'm in Nairobi because the Chartered Institute of Arbitrators just had uh, the launch of the Arbitral Woman um, Kenya Chapter Conference here on Friday, which was a fantastic event. And wow. they brought together women from the region to talk about arbitration and all the different areas they were um, working on. How's it going? How is the conference going? It, it was it was. Brilliant. I mean, it was really great. There were, you know, women speakers from um, Mauritius, South Sudan, uh, Kampala, like Uganda. And, you know, I was there for representing Ethiopia. So it was great to have such a wealth of uh, information from all these different spaces. And it was great to have conversations about 
um, women in arbitration within the African continent. That's fantastic. And you're speaking, you said. Yes, I was speaking. I spoke on um, on how to create more opportunities for women in arbitration in, in, in you know, d- domestically in the region and internationally. That's fantastic. I mean, and so the reason why we are even talking today is because we were so happy at the Arbitration Station to see that there's another arbitration podcast on the market. Um, so I, Yay! Yeah, I it's a great medium and we've gotten such good support. And so we're so happy to see that you're undertaking yet another huge task um, as if IRB.com was not enough. Um, yes. <laughs> so how did you Never get enough. to thinking about uh, starting a podcast? Um, you know, I um, so we do a lot of um, events with IRB Africa. So IRB Africa technically started with a, a conference that I um, organized with a few friends called the East Africa International Arbitration Conference. And it was such a great success. It's in its sixth year now. And and I and I kept thinking, I'm like, all right. Um, so what can we do to pay, get this information going and to get more people to show up? I mean, because we usually get about 300, 400 people showing up. And then we were like, okay, so the, com- the information is still staying within the conference. How do we get the discussions and the topics outside of the conference, right? And so I, I really thought about it, and I was like, oh, let me let me start a, a podcast. So. You know, there needs to be another media channel to this so that we can take the conversation further out. And then podcast came in as, you know, like an idea. And I was like, oh, my God, is this going to be the first arbitration podcast? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. You know, how are people going to respond to it? And then as I was Googling, I came across your podcast and I was like, <laughs> all right, OK, great. It's not the first one. This means people know about like, you know, this is it's great. Not It is great to be like, a, you know giving a path, but it's also great to know somebody else has done it right, <laughs> because right, it, right. it makes you less scared. Um, so I was like, all right, let me let me try and do one that specifically focuses on the continent and interviews people in the continent or focus on the continent. And that could provide their information and knowledge and kind of, you know, spread that around. It's been, it's called Africa Arbitration and the, the end of African Arbitration are the same A. So people can find it on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. But I listened to the first couple episodes and I have to say it's great and it's exactly what we've been trying to do. So we're, we're really happy to see that being championed in the continent. And I feel like, especially as an American lawyer living in Europe, the continent of Africa and just to say arbitration in Africa is such a huge undertaking. And for people like me who are definitely not as well read as they should be on arbitration in Africa, your website is just this wealth of knowledge. So can you talk about the organization and the website and what people can find there? Okay, so um, IARB Africa, um, so IARBAfrica.com, it came out of uh, a series of uh, experiences um, that I had. So a lot of times as I was working as an either external counsel or as a, you know, or I was assisting on projects related to arbitration, um, or even, you know, working as a foreign legal consultant, a lot of the things would happen where I would be put in a room and asked, you know, just randomly, like, Liu, so what do you, what do you think about the arbitration law in Morocco? And, you know, my, my jaw would drop, my eyes would kind of like, and I'm like, was I supposed to prepare on this? Because I had no idea. <laughs> like, I, I, I've never been to Morocco, so I really don't know what their laws are like. Um, 
And so the and, and that was always my reaction. And so because I knew such questions would potentially come, I started this thing where I I sat down and started collecting laws and investment and arbitration laws and related information for each African country just for my own little repertoire. Right. Oh, okay. And then and the, and so then I could, you know, I could easily kind of like have conversations and talk to people and ask questions. And then I was like, well, you know what? This seems like this information is really missing. Nobody, there's no, not one space where you can find all of this of what's happening on the continent. It seems that if you want to know what's happening in Nigeria, you call a lawyer in Nigeria or someone, you know what I mean, who's right. connected to the Nigerian market and ask, okay, what are the hot topics in Nigeria at this moment? You know, what cases are happening? What's the investment arbitration case? What are the commercial arbitration cases? And so, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so doing that, um, I realized that there, there's no space. I needed to create that space. I really wanted to be the solution. Not because, um, you know, it's, it would just be that one space you can go and get the information for, but it would really create an impact because it would be proof to everyone that there is so much arbitration-related events and, and, and cases and legal stuff happening in the continent. Uh, because Definitely. I don't think until then people really realized how much arbitration, in fact, happened in the continent. And a lot of the conversations about arbitration in Africa were focused on investor state arbitration. Right. And not so much on commercial arbitration. And with all of the news and whatnot that we actually curate on the homepage at IRB, you can see there's so much commercial arbitration cases happening concerning, you know, investors in the continent. And it was it was such a huge revelation to myself as well to know that there is all that activity. And we have kind of been quiet about the continent for quite some time in that field. So do you think that maybe one of the goals of IRB is also to kind of promote Africa as an arbitration center on its own. I mean, we know that Mauritius is kind of uh, emerging as, you know, this institutional center that they're trying to attract more cases because, I mean, I feel like maybe some of these bigger cases are bleeding out to maybe Paris or London, or, and maybe this could be a way to kind of attract it back. Is that one of the goals or do you think that will just be like a happy, a happy coincidence if that's the effect? I mean, it would be fantastic if it happened, and, and, I, and if I could take credit for it, but I doubt <laughs> I can do that. Uh, but I think one of the, so the main goal is, so we have two main goals at, at IRB. The first one is to promote Africa and arbitration. So Africa is a, it actually is a actual market. So I, 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 I want people to think that, you know, Af Africa is not just a consumer of arbitration, but it's, it's, it's also a space where you can have arbitration happen. Right. Right. Um, the second one is there are a lot of African professionals that can do a lot of this work that can collaborate with international firms or firms, you know, different firms to do this work. But there also needs to be a collaboration within the continent between different African law firms and arbitrators and arbitration practitioners. And that's a very big area where um, collaboration is lacking. You don't, you hear of a UK firm collaborating with a firm in Liberia to represent the Liberian government or a Liberian investor, but you rarely hear of a South African firm um, collaborating with a firm in Liberia to represent a Liberian government. Right. It's, that's, that's not something that actually happens. So the secondary goal of IARB is to promote that intra-Africa um, collaboration. And the, with regards to promoting Africa and arbitration and Africa as a seat of and a venue for arbitration in the continent, in, in the world, is yes, there are the different arbitration centers that are coming up. 
And you are right. You correctly pointed out that a, a lot of the big cases are, are going to London and Paris. But Africa is sitting on a very important gold mine, in my opinion, which is intra-Africa trade. Mm-hmm. And with the recent signing of the Continental Free Trade Agreement, which is set to increase intra-Africa trade by at least 25% in the next you know, 10 years, uh, it's it's definitely a huge market for African arbitration centers right. where they could be the space to resolve the disputes that will most likely come out of these you know trade uh, agreements and 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 and, and business. Can you talk businesses. about the free trade agreement a little bit? I had I didn't know about that. Uh, so the free trade agreement was um, just recently. Um, so it's a project that has been in the works for quite some time, okay. and they just had the the signing ceremony in. Kigali about a week ago, if I'm not uh, wrong, and 44 of 54 African states, uh, African Union, uh, 55 of 55 African Union states have signed, wow. uh, have, have expressed their agreement to sign the largest free trade agreement in the in the world, <laughs> pretty much at wow. this point. Yeah, so it's it's a very it's a very big deal, and so now negotiations are going to start, and there's definitely room for you know discussion on arbitration and how to deal with disputes that are going to come out of this. I mean, see, Africa is one of the continents that trades the least within itself, which is so interesting and a shame. Yeah, yeah, it's a shame, absolutely, and and and, and there's many reasons for it. It's because you know there's you know tar- tariffs or issues. Right. Um, it's easier to export something to Europe or to the U.S. Uh, or to Asia than it is to export something from Ethiopia to South Africa. Um, and, wow. you know, there's there's many reasons. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. If you look at the numbers, it's kind of mind-blowing, to be honest. <laughs> and um, But at this point, the, you know, the African heads of state and governments have realized that it is important that we trade within ourselves. And in creating and facilitating this trade, you, you will see that... Um, not only will we trade more with each other, but we will also start, you know, th- that whole idea of, of starting to use each other's uh, lawyers and counsels and arbitrators and centers will, will come about because it will be very expensive to go to Paris or London Definitely. for, yeah, and you would rather just go to either Lagos or, you know, Cairo or Nairobi or South Africa or Mauritius, you know, um, there's so many options. Um, so I think that's definitely going to be a huge outcome and a huge business opportunity for um, arbitration centers in the country. Which is why your website actually also plays a role because you have this arbitration arbitration directory, right? So you have kind of um, people that are stars in the arbitration community in their specific region. So it's kind of a, a database for not only foreigners to come in, but also within Africa to say, okay, well, who do we know in West Africa that we can help us with this type of dispute? Exactly. That's that's precisely what we're doing. So we have two specific databases that are focused on people. The first one is Africa's 100, which is a growing list of African arbitrators um, that is developed by an advisory board that's on the website, which includes, you know, Justice Yusuf and right. and such such great it's other. Now the president um, of the. Exactly. We know yeah. the president of the ICJ. Um, and so um, such, you know, and, and Funke Adekoya, who's, who's really big in, in Nigeria and even across the continent at this moment. Um, and so you have these people who are, you know, nominating or even like CVs are going through them in order for people to appear on the Africa's 100 directory. Um, so then you find all these different names of arbitrators. Uh, and the reason we developed that list was because, you know, there's this whole cycle of of, of, of of, of kind of cir- 
you know, cyclic argument that happens when people ask, are there African arbitrator, arbitration experts or arbitrators? And the answer is, uh, I don't know. I know a few that are domestic arbitrators and they're like, well, they don't have international experience, so we can't nominate them. And then and then you go back to the, you know, and then you can't you can't be you can't get any international experience if you've never been nominated. Right. For an international <laughs> so it's like it's circular, right? And it's like so, getting your first job. It's like we need ex- people with more experience. <laughs> exactly. You're like, oh, I can't get experience. You can't hire me. <laughs> exactly. uh, um, so, yeah, so it's so part of it was to try and kind of break that cycle where um, so by you know, having this list where you identify people who have experienced in international, but also domestic inter- domestic arbitration, but have a great knowledge, sense of knowledge of uh, international law and the workings of international law. And that could easily, you know, adapt and understand how international arbitration can be conducted uh, on, you know, on there. So you can easily just go and find someone, even if you just wanted to include them on the list of, of arbitrators that you're considering, it's it's a great way to getting them into the arbitration game. Right. right? That's that's is, one way. Is it just their profile and kind of name and contact information, or is there kind of a write up on them and maybe an, even an evaluation? So what we're doing is we're doing a CV. So it's very hard to do an evaluation, right? Yeah. Um, uh, because people ask you, who are you to evaluate me and what, and then, you know, it's your <laughs> value. Oh, yeah, exactly. And then is, is there evaluation, uh, going to be, you know, are you influenced? Are you biased? What is, you know, because I'm only putting African names out there and, and, and the advisory board is just looking at African names. So it's either like, oh, is there a bias already? So it, it can lead to a few questions that may, may make people uncomfortable. Yes. So what we did was we just put names, their contact information and their extended CVs. Okay. Uh, so if you find them in, in you know, interesting, you can directly contact them and have that conversation with them. Uh, so we just want it to be a space for them to be visible, right? So creating visibility. Right. Um, and the second directory is, as you mentioned, the arbitration directory, which is we're recruiting um, lawyers, African lawyers or lawyers that are focused in doing Africa work um, to put their resumes and CVs and, and, and for us to make them visible on, uh, on on the web. Because uh, interestingly enough, you know, um, I was just, this is the exact conversation I was having during the Arbitral Women Conference in Nairobi, mm-hmm. which is a lot of law firms will say they have, you know, African law firms will say they have websites. Now, that's fantastic. But there's no point of having a website is nobody's visiting your website. Right. Absolutely no point. And because a lot of our firms do not have the financial means uh, or do not consider it important, they don't have a marketing team. So there's nobody really doing their marketing as in putting them out there, creating their visibility, making sure they're being noticed or making sure, you know, people are visiting their websites and kind of visiting their profiles and whatnot. So part of what we wanted to do with the arbitration directory is, yes, we will put your name out there, but we will also make sure you become visible. We will enhance it. We, you know, we will create a marketing strategy for you to be more visible uh, within the continent or also internationally. So. Exactly, which is very important because, you know, you look at a lot of international firms and, and they do. They have a marketing team. They have a branding team. You know, it's it's well set. So we, we need to create that for African firms so that they can be out there and, and collaborations and, and symbiotic collaborations can happen and everybody can learn from each other. Definitely. There's I mean, there's so many resources and I'm just like going down the list. You also have an enforcement database, which is a list of a, a bunch of decisions, which I assume are in English, maybe in French as well. 
In French, yes. In so we French. have uh, we have over, I think, 200 and something cases that we've collected from over 25 jurisdictions. Uh, and these are enforcement cases from the courts. So about 15 of the jurisdictions are within the African continent. And so we have a, a resume, like kind of like a summary of each case and the decision for each case, both in French and in English. Is that just to show for practitioners how it's been working and kind of just a review on legal standards that have come up? Or what was... It, the reasoning behind that, that that is that is one of the that is one of the reasonings but, mm -hmm. and the other reasoning for me is um there's a lot of discussion on how african courts are hostile there's a stereotype right yes. african courts are hostile to enforcement of foreign arbitral awards um and they you know they they're not the judges don't actually know what they're doing or you know there's there's a certain stereotype of because my question was i kept asking everyone uh, while i was working you know developing this database i i before i even developed it my question was okay so can can you tell me why, as much as there are cases concerning African governments or African parties around the world, why are we not hearing about enforcement of these cases within the African continent? Because we constantly hear about applications for enforcement in, in, in New York, mm -hmm. in Paris, in London, where you know governments will have assets, um, but we don't hear about any enforcement within the continent. And a lot of the responses that I received was, well, you know, we're not sure about the courts. The courts could be pious. They, you know, the courts could drag this process on for years. So we're looking to, you know, it would be easier for us to enforce there. And so my question is, I mean, come on, like not every country can be like that. And then I'm not denying the fact that there could be situations where that happens. And we've seen that happen quite a few times. Um, so my point was, okay, I needed to prove to myself that not all 55 African countries <laughs> were that Fit way, into the right? <laughs> Exactly, like not all 55 countries. So, um, in, 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 you know, so I, I really just started doing this collection and it took about two years to even get this number of cases. Yeah, I can um, imagine. Yeah, and I'm and, and very grateful for those who, who just willingly just sent the cases and did the research in their own jurisdictions. Um, but it, it was great to see decisions that are coming out um, that are, you know, would disprove this theory in many African countries. And that so, was, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. And no, so it was, it was, it was, it was good for me to know. I mean, there are certain jurisdictions where you're like, all right, clearly you don't go there. <laughs> Not a smart decision. Is that also but, on uh, your website? Those yes, it is. I mean, okay. exactly. So we, you know, everything that we found, it, we're putting out there as a way of saying, you know, I'll, you know, because a lot of times discussions about the, you know, arbitration of the continent sometimes can be on the negative side. So it's just a way to say, okay, this happens, that happens too. Right. <laughs> like both of them. Yeah. I was listening to the podcast and there you had an episode about um, Nigeria and you had a practitioner on there talking about the enforcement in Nigeria and how they're trying to make amendments to their arbitration law to kind of adapt to these type of concerns that, you know, enforcement of arbitral awards in Nigeria, for example, would just be a relitigation on the merits. And therefore, they were trying to, re, you know, introduce some new provisions to limit that. Um, so it is a very real concern. And, and, you know, these communities and jurisdictions are really trying to address it. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of, you know, um, there's a lot of amendments in, 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 in the national laws related to arbitration that's happening across, you know, in different parts of the continent, especially with, you know, the arbitral model law gaining more steam uh, in the continent um, and quite, you know, countries signing on to the New York Convention. Right. So there's there's now the discussion of, OK, we can't just be consumers. We also need to participate. We need to be part of that system that not only, you know, is a source of cases, but is also, you know, a space where you enforce. Right. To kind of 
So I'm thinking of, our, you know, Africa as this continent, and as you said, there's 55 countries. And so I really, it's a, a pet peeve of mine for, for when people talk about, you know, African arbitration community as this one community. Do you think that there's an easier or simpler way to kind of divide up the continent besides, you know, you have east, west, south? I mean, but is are there industries that are specific to each of these regions, or is there a more... A easier way to digest, um, you know, African arbitration. I don't. Know, I hope you understand my question. It's like, yeah, no, uh-huh. how oh, do you? Sorry. How would you divide it up in uh, the mind of a layman? Uh, there's okay. So you can do it in a few ways. Um, this is this is actually a great question because we have this conversation consistently. We're like, okay, so we can't just say Africa because it's you know there's there's the specific issues that are happening in different spaces. Yeah. So one of the ways that you can do it is within the the, the legal system type, right? Okay. So you have countries that follow the common law system. You have countries that follow the, the continental legal system, but you also have countries uh, that have a mixture of both. Right. In terms of their legal systems. Right. So that's that's one way that you can look at it. But another way that you can also look at it is with regards to, for example, an easy classification uh, would be for West African countries would be OHADA, which is the Organisation pour l'Harmonisation de, I think, like, Développement d'Arbitrage or, you know, I'm, I'm not clear on that, um, uh, on, that on that acronym. Uh, but it's the OHADA system is. Uh, a, a set of about, I think, 14 countries, if I'm not correct, um, that have come together and have developed this business law, um, have agreed on a set of business laws and arbitration laws and in commercial related laws, and that have all adopted it within their national system. Mm-hmm. So whether you go to these, you know, whether you go to Cote d'Ivoire, you know, or you're going to Senegal, you will have a similar set. Uh, of uh, business law and um, arbitration law, uh, you know, yeah, exactly, legislations within those countries, which then makes the, you know, which makes it easier um, for you to practice or even you to represent clients or even invest in those countries, right? And so what has come out of the OHADA is the CCGA, which is a common court for justice uh, and arbitration, which is an uh, arbitration center in the continent and in, in West Africa that's based out of um, Cote d'Ivoire and okay. they specifically see cases that have, you know, come out of in, in arbitration and in a lot of international arbitration cases go through there. One of which was a very controversial, which is the Getma case, uh, goes through there. They go through there either as a, as a space for uh, administrating arbitration cases, mm-hmm. but also a space for enforcing awards. Okay. So it has a double, it has a double role. So is so they have jurisdiction through the arbitration law. They've been kind of granted jurisdiction as a court to conduct enforcement of these awards. Yes, conduct enforcement uh, throughout the Ohada uh, region. Interesting. Uh, as yeah, as well as yeah, as well as um, conduct arbitrations. And then, how is East Africa kind of grouped together, or can it be grouped together? I mean, it's 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 tough because then you have the uh, the East Africa community, um, and within the East Africa community, which um, includes um, Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, uh, Rwanda, uh, and I believe South Sudan is yes. is entering that right now. Um, if I'm not, I hope I'm not forgetting any of the countries. Um, but um, they, what happens is there's an East Africa Court of Justice, 
And the East African Court of Justice has been granted um, an arbitration uh, mandate. And so, and it's a free arbitration center. Mm-hmm. And this is something that, you know, not a lot of people know. You are, literally ad- can administer your arbitration cases there for free. And you have um, the possibility of appointing. Uh, so now they're, they're, I, I think they're working some kinks out in the treaty um, in terms of how you appoint arbitrators within the uh, Court of Justice uh, for the arbitration uh, mandate. Um, but you can, uh, they have, I think they've had one or two arbitration cases, but they were related to labor arbitration cases. Oh. Uh, but now what they're trying to do, part of their kind of promotion for the past year or two has been about how to use a center for commercial arbitration disputes, especially ones that arise within um, the region and within different countries of the region. So Definitely. you have, you know, yeah, exactly. You have a Rwandan company that has invested in Ethiopia. Then, you know, if they want a, a neutral space, the EACJ could be a good space for them as an international organization. Interesting. And I know Mauritius is trying to be kind of the pinnacle center of arbitration. Do you think that they've done enough to promote themselves as a center? Do you see that it's becoming a very popular place to arbitrate? Or do you think that these kind of regional centers that you just talked about are just as competitive? Um, I think Mauritius has done a fantastic job as promoting itself as an arbitration center. Uh, now, I think the results are not there yet and perhaps right. maybe will take some time. Uh, this is something that we'll have to see. Uh, but they've done an excellent job. I mean, you go anywhere in the continent and you ask them, you know, somebody will give an example of a place where they can arbitrate it in Africa and Mauritius will be on the list. Right. Now, there's, there's a, there's a, that's, so that's a huge con. So like, that's a huge pro for Mauritius now. There's a few cons, you know, um, against Mauritius, which is with, especially within the continent, because it's very difficult, you know, in, in the connection within the African continent in terms of um, flight connections even. It's very difficult <laughs> to get to to get to Mauritius yeah, from Nigeria. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it's hard, but it would be easier to get there from you know southern African countries. From you know you have direct flights from South Africa and a few other countries in the south uh, to go to Mauritius. You have direct flights from Kenya to get to Mauritius. So perhaps that's a market that they will get because you know the market they they are literally placed between the eastern and southern uh, part of the continent right. and Asia. So they, you know, it's a pretty great corridor that they're in. So perhaps that will be the market that they will be attracted. That's something to see. But it would, I don't think they, I don't know if that's going to work for the other parts of the continent. We talk about that in our seat of arbitration series this season about how, I mean, yes, we can talk about how great the country is, but it's also, you know, the venues, the logistics, <laughs> the flight paths to get there. I mean, you can only do so much if people can't arrive in your <laughs> jurisdiction. Exactly. I mean, it's it's really hard. I mean, um, it's 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 very, yeah. It's it, all of that. You know, intra-Africa flights and, and and consider this: intra-Africa flights are extremely expensive. So, um, you know, for me to fly from Addis Ababa to Lagos uh, is a thousand dollars. Wow. Econ- economy class. I mean, trust me. Like, wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm not definitely. Um, and for me to fly from Addis, you know, it's, it's a I think it's it's about a seven hour flight if I'm not wrong. And for me to fly from um, Addis to Washington, D.C. is $1,000 as well. And that's that's a 16-hour flight. Wow. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, thankfully, another huge development in the continent, there has been a um, an agreement signed uh, among, uh, I don't know how many countries, but uh, quite a few countries in the continent with regards to making the skies in the continent 
free, like open, because there, there is not an AB, aviation agreement um, within African countries concerning the continent. There was just a, a bilateral agreement, mm-hmm. uh, especially with, uh, you know, uh, with countries that have their own national airlines, such as Kenya, Ethiopia, South Africa. Um, and now there has been um, a treaty, I think, that has been tabled by the African Union and that was signed during the summit in January this year uh, and about opening up the skies of the continent. That would be and fantastic. making it cheaper. Yeah, and making it cheaper for people to travel within within the continent. Right. Well, before I let you go, is there? You know, you also have these. Um, you have a blog, and you also have a news kind of feed. Um, is there anything to kind of bring up hot topics in Africa? Is there anything that's really like coming to light, or anything that is extremely, you know, on the forefront of what's happening in Africa right now that you would like to share? Um, you know, I, I, I would like to, to just maybe just say this. I mean, there's a lot happening on the country. Right. <laughs> there's yes. so much. I can uh, read on your website. It's really a lot. <laughs> it's really a lot. There's cases coming up everywhere. Um, but what I, what I would, what I would think would be great is if, um, if we all kind of took a moment to, um, really consider one thing where it is. You know, information is great and we're all being informed. You know, it's great. IRB Africa is an information space and you find all these cases and whatnot. But our information has to have impact, right? Mm -hmm. And we definitely have to move on from it just being a space of information to be creating the ripple effect, which is, so yeah, great. We're, you know, we're getting information from IR, but then, you know, this makes people consider Africa maybe, you know, that, you know, maybe a good venue or a potentially good seat, you know, let's, you know, let's start with venue and then move on to seat perhaps. Um, but it would be great if a lot of the practitioners that focus on the African continent or that are interested in the African continent could attend conferences or uh, could attend, you know, there's so many conferences and meetings and workshops happening within the continent. Right. It would be fantastic to have them come and see what is going on in the continent, you know, for themselves. It's because then just, that Right. Not just passive yeah. observation, but actual engagement. Actual engagement would be would be fantastic because then you will see how so much is happening and how you can really be a, a, a part of that movement and, and, and understand how you can play a role in kind of decentralizing arbitration from where it's actually now fully centralized. Well, that that is a great call to arms, and I really um, hope that our listeners will access your website, which is iarbafrica.com, and also listen to your podcast, Africa Arbitration, on iTunes. Um, thank you so much for just really scratching the surface on this, on this issue. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This was fantastic. So thank you, Asaya, so much for, for taking time out of busy practice and to, to join us on this podcast. It's, it's not your time, your first time on a podcast, right? Uh, well, f- first of all, thank you for uh, uh, agreeing to have this interview. Uh, it's my pleasure to, to speak with you both. Uh, no, it's not my first time. I recently did a podcast on the on the IR podcast, which is a great platform being run uh, by my good friend Leiu Tamaru. And I encourage everyone listening to, uh, to have a listen to that as well, to keep up with developments on arbitration in Africa. You are now... In Africa, I guess. Are you in, in Abuja, in Nigeria, or are you somewhere else as we talk? So as we speak, I am in Abuja, Nigeria. 
um, sitting at my desk and uh, and raring to go. <laughs> <laughs> and you're part. Are you partner at the law firm that you're sitting in now? Right. So so I recently uh, went into partnership last year, actually. Congratulations. And prior to that. Thank you very much. Uh, pr- prior to that, I worked 10 years in another uh, heavily litigation-based uh, firm, in, also in Abuja, Nigeria. So am I, am I correct in assuming, uh, as I have always done, that Abuja is the capital, but Lagos is more sort of the commercial capital of Nigeria, or is that a simplified assumption? Yeah. No, no, no. That's uh, that's exactly right. So Abuja is the the political capital. It used to be Lagos up to a point, uh, and uh, but that was changed to Abuja. But Lagos remains the commercial capital uh, f- by far and large. You know, the majority of commercial activities in Nigeria emanate from Lagos and have some sort of a connection with Lagos. So uh, Lagos plays a significant part in the uh, in the country's economy. Does that uh, extend also to to arbitration? Absolutely. So you, you would find um, majority of the arbitral institutions are based are based in Lagos, and uh, in terms of the structure of the country, uh, given that it's a federal system, so some states or all states actually have their own arbitration laws. Well, Lagos has the most up-to-date version as, as it concerns the state law and as it concerns arbitration as a whole in Nigeria. Is there also then some sort of federal arbitration law that is um, sort of complementing the, the different states? Yeah, so so um, you have the, at the federal level, you have the Arbitration and Conciliation Act, which is based on the first version of the anti-trial model law. Um, I believe I'm correct in saying Nigeria was the first African country to to adopt the model law in 1988. Uh, but since then, as you both know, there have been there have been additions to the to the model law, which the federal enactment hasn't kept pace with. But the states, uh, or particular Lagos state, has uh, in has incorporated the 2006 version of the Anstral model law into its system. In terms of how federal law relates with state law, it's actually a big debate going on at, at the at the moment, and there are distinct schools of thoughts on this. Um, now, the the competence to legislate on a given area is provided in the constitution by uh, one of two legislative lists. Now, uh, the federal legislature has exclusive competence over the items listed in the exclusive list whereas there is shared competence between the federal and state legislatures in the concurrent list. And uh, the Supreme Court has given an interpretation that where an item appears in neither the exclusive or the concurrent list, then it's exclusively a state matter. Mm-hmm. Now, in 1988, when, when, the, uh, when the Arbitration and Conciliation Act was first enacted, it was enacted as, as a military decree. Now, in, 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 uh, when the military were, were in charge, a military decree superseded provisions of the Constitution. So it didn't really matter um, whether it was on the exclusive or the, or the concurrent list. Once it was, a, it was a military decree, it took precedence. But in 1999, after the transition from a military 
uh, government to a de democratic government, all military decrees were deemed to be existing laws of the National Assembly. So it's raised this constitutional debate because arbitration appears in neither the exclusive uh, nor the concurrent list. So there are some who say it's exclusively a state matter and the federal government has no business legislating on it. Whereas uh, you have another group that says, well, it's an incidence of trade and commerce. And insofar as it's, it's an incidence of trade and commerce, then uh, the federal government has competence to legislate for international arbitration and interstate arbitration, whereas uh, state governments have jurisdiction or competence to legislate on intrastate um, intrastate arbitration. So uh, that that has sort of pacified pacified the situation, uh, but there are attempts to amend the constitution and put arbitration on the concurrent list so there is shared legislative competence uh, between the federal and the state legislature. But there is still, as of today, uh, legislative acts both at the state and the federal level. So, so how does this constitutional law dilemma affect arbitrations that are currently pending? You still have two different sets of, of laws, right? That, that's right. Happily, it hasn't invalidated any pending arbitrations. The compromise that's been arrived at is that the arbitration, the Federal Arbitration Act will apply where it's international arbitration. So um, not not purely a domestic scenario. And if if it's arbitration within Nigeria, then it would apply to interstate arbitration. So where the parties reside in two, two, two or more states. Uh, in the country, whereas the state legislation would apply where it's a purely intra-state arbitration. So, for instance, the Lego state arbitration law would, would apply where the, all the elements arise within Lagos state, whereas if you had, in a domestic scenario, one of the parties in Lagos state and one of the parties in the federal capital where I am, then the Arbitration and Conciliation Act, which is the federal legislation, would apply to govern their arbitration. This is always confusing to me as somebody from a very, very unitary <laughs> state. Every time it's the United States, Australia, Nigeria, Brazil, right. it doesn't matter. As soon as it's a federation, it's yeah. so much more complicated. Yeah. We have something similar. I mean, we it have is. the preemptive principle in the US, but we definitely don't have this shared competence, EU, seemingly EU type of legislatory f framework. But can I ask you, yeah. do you also practice outside of Nigeria or are you doing primarily work uh, within your home state, so to speak? Uh, at the moment, I practice primarily in Nigeria, uh, but we are finding that increasingly uh, work is coming up in other African jurisdictions as well, uh, arbitration work. So uh, we're doing a, doing a bit of work in, in East Africa recently. But I would say 90% uh, of what I do is within Nigeria. Do you think that's just a logistical consideration about, you know, it's the countries or the continent is just so big that people aren't going to bring their disputes, but like in a different country? Or do you think um, that's just how the commerce is working? If you get my question. It's it's a, it's a really interesting. Yeah, yeah, I do. Absolutely. It's, it's a really interesting question. And it actually came up in an event I was at. I think it was in Nairobi where we had this awkward situation where um, 
foreign council, I think they were based in France, needed... Oh, no, no, I, I apologize. It was, it was the other way around. So council in Kenya required um, a contact for, I think, council in one of the francophone francophone countries in, in West Africa. I think it was Senegal, but couldn't find any of their contacts within Africa to make the connection and had to contact their colleagues in Paris who were able to make the connection. And the question arose, um, why should this arise? And I, I think it's it's sort of an incidence of the way we, Africa has been doing work up till now in that uh, there isn't a, a concerted effort to to um, get to know ourselves, as it were. And, and that could be down to a number of things, primarily infrastructure. It's, it's very difficult, or it can be difficult, to, for instance, get a flight from Abuja to, um, let's say, Angola, for instance. So it, it's just difficult for me to physically get there to do work. Increasingly, that, that's changing with some countries, particularly in East Africa and, and some countries in Northern Africa. But um, the, I think the community realizes that that's a problem. And I'm aware of efforts to try and rectify that. So for instance, as it concerns arbitration, there are efforts um, to sort of unify the, or coordinate the efforts of arbitral institutions within Nigeria. Uh, and increasingly, you find uh, business models and law firms where they go into partnership with either law firms in the same region or, or less uh, less common partnerships, trying to establish partnerships with firms in Africa as a whole. Um, but I, th I think the good thing is practitioners in Africa realize it's a problem and um, they're starting to address it. How quickly that will be addressed, uh, it remains to be seen, but the conversation has started at least. Is a related question, but a more banal one. Is, is English the, the language used exclusively in both in these sort of pan-regional discussions and also in, in the actual arbitration practice? Because, of course, most people in in Africa are, are multilingual, and you mentioned the francophone part of, of West Africa as well. I would imagine that French is still uh, very much the, the lingua franca, as it were. Absolutely. So, um, if from personal experience, the, the language used uh, in sort of pan-arbitration pan, pan proceedings and conferences is English. Uh, the majority of the, of the conferences I attend use English. Um, and, and that in, in and of itself is a problem because if, if you have an English-speaking conference, uh, you will hardly find any sort of participants from the, the Francophone region and, and vice versa. Mm, yeah. uh, we have, yeah, uh, and, and that's part of the problem with um, sort of trying to, trying to integrate and coordinate efforts within Africa. Um, uh, interestingly, there's, a, there's an ICC arbitration, uh, African Regional Arbitration Conference coming up in June this year. And there's a concerted effort to increase the participation of, of Francophone African participants. Um, so, for instance, uh, I, I know logistically there are plans to have uh, simultaneous translations between English and French. 
but uh, I, but in answer in direct answer to your question, I, I would say the majority the majority language used in conferences and proceedings is English. But when when you go down to a regional level, uh, you would find that if it's if it's uh, in Francophone Africa, absolutely it will be French. Uh, in uh, in parts of northern Africa, although primarily it's English, but occasionally you might have Arabic. Uh, but if it, if you're talking of Africa as a whole, then English is the is the main language used. When I was talking to uh, Leu about um, her IARB initiative, she was talking about this um, African free trade agreement that is being discussed that's coming up. And Joel was talking about that in OGMID. It's become a hot topic as well. Um, is there anything that you know about this free trade agreement and whether you think it would be beneficial for the arbitration community? Um, I think it would. Unfortunately, Nigeria is not a signatory to that to that um, to that oh, agreement. Okay. Um, yeah, it was a uh, it was a uh, it wasn't taken very well by by some of the community here. Uh, Nigeria pulled out in the last minute, uh, literally in the last minute. The, I think a, a couple a few days before it was signed, uh, we pulled out. The in in terms of the dispute resolution mechanism, it it follows largely the WTO system. Um, and but but in direct answer to your question, I, I think it would help the the arbitration community and the, in in the sense that there is a a central body of law. Oh no, <laughs> we lost him. No, hello. I, I'm back. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Was a, we'll <laughs> edit that out. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so what I was saying is that it would benefit the community in terms of having a centralized body of law uh, to which disputes arise out of, because uh, you you find there's a lot of regional competition uh, in Africa, particularly for the the established African seats. We, we there is going to be a lot of competition, uh, and uh, we we tend to focus efforts in our own regions try to try and promote these regions as in in uh, in air quotes arbitration friendly jurisdictions um <laughs> but uh i i think a centralized body of law would help in in establishing some cohesion regrettably nigeria is not going to be part of that uh, for some time unless we change our stance and and decide to accede to the uh to the free trade agreement, but as it stands, we're, we're not parties to that agreement. What were some of the critiques that Nigeria had to the free trade agreement? Why were they not signatories? Right now, it, this is a this is a, a typical uh, sort of African scenario. Okay. Uh, we we didn't have <laughs> so when when the decision was made not to not to sign up to the agreement. The reasons weren't made public, but the behind the scenes uh, there was sort of talk that this this administration didn't take part primarily in the negotiations of that agreement, and wanted to clarify the effects some of the uh, the the provisions would have on Nigeria's economy and uh, and Nigeria as a whole, but. Um, one of the things we, we suffer from uh, increasingly is a lack of, uh, of transparency, as it were. So, we, well, I haven't come across the official reasoning 
um, for for not signing up. But uh, the 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 gossip, as it were, is that more consultations are required to see what the effects on uh, on Nigeria's economy would be. Right. Can I can I ask you a little bit more about this regional competition that you hinted at? Because I think it's it's an interesting aspect that we don't talk uh-huh. about that much in Europe, of course, where you have arbitral seats and institutions that have been uh, conducting business for a long time. Most practitioners are aware and can sort of put, you know, Vienna and Paris and and, and London and, and Stockholm on the map and, and compare them to each other because they've had a lot of international cases for, for a long time. What are sort of the major uh, institutions and or cities, in your opinion, and I'm thinking now primarily of, of uh, sub-Saharan Africa, which is uh, even yeah. more neglected in, in international discussions, I think. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. So so in sub-Saharan Africa, I, I would say the, the the seats that will emerge as the most established uh, will be Lagos, Nairobi, Kigali, uh, Mauritius, and Johannesburg. Uh, that that's where you tend to find the activities um, uh, uh, as it concerns arbitration. I mean, I mean, there's there's an ongoing conference in in Nairobi at the moment. Um, I'll be attending a conference in Kigali in May. There are, there's a conference coming up in Lagos in June. So uh, you you would there, there's going to be a lot of competition, I think, uh, between these seats and what what it will ultimately boil down to. Because increasingly we'll find there's a lot of uh, um, sort of similarities between our laws, uh, which are mainly on trial model law based, and uh, trying to push for court support of the of the arbitral process. What it's going to boil down to ultimately would be which jurisdiction markets itself best as the most arbitration friendly. And uh, uh, we're we're starting to see some of that now. Um, I know I know Kigali. Is uh, is very good at marketing itself as an arbitration-friendly jurisdiction, and and for the most part, it is. It's it has a very good law, it has a very good support system, but I think increasingly we'll we'll find out across um, the, those jurisdictions I mentioned. So Lagos, Nairobi, Kigali, Joburg, and Mauritius. And what is what is the market specifically that we're talking about? Is it uh, primarily for international disputes between different African parties, or is it an a purely global market, or are they still also looking uh, a lot at domestic cases? Right now, speaking speaking for um, Nigeria, I would say the majority of arbitrations that are seated in Lagos or in another Nigerian city primarily involve parties that do business in Nigeria. Um, now. Uh, those 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 parties under the law can classify their arbitration as international, but I mean, just uh, pure plainly speaking, uh, the majority will be domestic arbitration in in nature. I have I've come across uh, an increasing number of international arbitrations um, in Nigeria, uh, and I think one of the reasons that a lot of the arbitrations in, in Nigeria will involve Nigerian parties is simply the way our laws are structured. So uh, there, there's a legislation known as the, the Companies and Allied Matters Act that requires foreign investors before they do business 
in Nigeria to be incorporated as, as a Nigerian entity, with very, very few exceptions. So uh, when, when disputes arise out of these concession agreements uh, involving in international parent companies, but you know, with uh, Nigerian subsidiaries, it, it tends to be the Nigerian subsidiary used as a party to the arbitration. Um, they, so they for, are formally a, that then it becomes a domestic dispute, although there are exact, international yeah exactly actors although somewhere. there's an international exactly there are international actors, but you, you would only see the domestic actors uh, in the arbitration. Uh, interestingly, figures coming from from the uh, Kigali International Arbitration Center show that they, they have uh, an increase in number of international arbitrations, which, which is encouraging. Uh, but, you know, I, I, speaking from a purely Nigerian perspective, I, I would say the, the majority of disputes are domestic arbitrations, uh, but mainly for the reasons I, I've stated, the way our laws are structured. You were talking about um, transparency being... And, uh, you know, a hot topic. And I feel like, and this comes up in your interview, even though you were in a different seat, you were the interviewer in that situation. But um, that one of the reforms that Nigeria is looking at is um, the issue relating to enforcement. And there might even be an enforcement yeah. tribunal put into place. And I know you already talked about that. And we can refer our listeners to your interview there. But um, if you could just briefly touch on kind of what Nigeria is looking to do in terms of enforcement. Right. Okay, so let me just preface that with, with the reason why uh, we think that change is necessary. Yes. So increasingly, we, we find that uh, one of the weaker spots um, of arbitration in Nigeria does relate to enforcement. So for instance, uh, you could go through a very smooth arbitration, uh, get an award, but the enforcement stage becomes extremely problematic in that um, you know, there there is a first stage challenge in uh, either the high court of the state or the federal high court, and there may be a, sub, a subsequent appeal to the court of appeal and a further appeal to the supreme court. So you would find you find that you know you spend so so much time and effort in, in trying to enforce an award, the arbitration pretty much becomes first instance proceedings, and then you have appellate proceedings in the High Court, the Court of Appeal, and the Supreme Court. Now, uh, how, how the, the proposed legislation tries to solve this is by giving the option of a challenge system outside the courts. So uh, we're proposing to introduce something called the Award Review Tribunal. So it's essentially, parties would have to opt into the system. But when they do, then their challenge would be, rather to the high court at first instance, would be to an appellate arbitral tribunal, which is appointed in the same way that the first instance tribunal is, is appointed. Uh, and there, there are time limits to, uh, to within which the, the, the review tribunal should decide the challenge. Uh, that that time limit is, is two months with the option from the tribunal to extend time as, as it deems necessary. Now, um, we've had some, some concerns in that, well, what would happen if a party goes to the review tribunal and would nevertheless 
seek court to the review tribunal, go to court anyway to try to challenge whatever the outcome is. Uh, and again, the way we've tried to solve it is by greatly limiting the grounds to which, uh, on which you could approach the courts after you've gone to a review tribunal. So the, the, the bill says if the review tribunal uh, confirms the, the award, then the, the aggrieved party can only challenge the award in the courts on grounds of uh, public policy and arbitrability. So you've essentially taken uh, a, hu a, a huge chunk of the possible grounds um, um, uh, or, or based on, on, which a, on which a party can, can challenge the award. So we've tried to limit the scope. You know, uh, if a, if a party opts for the review tribunal, the in terms of how far the bill has gone in the in the legislative process, the the Senate recently uh, passed the bill, so it's going to move to the uh, federal House of Representatives, oh, wow. and it will undergo yeah yeah so it it will undergo a process called concurrence. Uh, if the House of Representatives con concurs with the with the Senate, then it would go to the president for for assent. Uh, in terms of feelers we're getting, it's it's likely that the House of Reps will will uh, give its concurrence to the bill. So we're, we're hoping, uh, keeping our fingers crossed, that you know by the end of the year Nigeria might have a new a new arbitration act. Um, I, I'll put a huge caveat on that because it's a pre-election year. In, uh, in Nigeria, elections take place next year, and uh, when the uh, the legislators kick into election mode, not a lot tends to be done. Yeah, the, also, uh, I guess uh, arbitration <laughs> is not uh, the top <laughs> of the agenda. <laughs> it's not something you As win. As one of my yeah. platforms, I want to have a new arbitration. <laughs> right, exactly. What um? But are there we're, any? We're hoping that the. Uh, Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I, I was. Yeah. I was just saying that. Um, but the hope is that the review tribunal removes one of the perceived weaknesses um, uh, as it concerns arbitration in Nigeria. Are there any? Before we wrap up, are there any other countries that are doing this, or is Nigeria kind of at the forefront of this idea? Now, as as far as we know, uh, we've looked into this. Uh, I haven't come across. Any uh, any country that has a a review tribunal, I I think it's been mooted. Um, I I know in one of the Queen Mary surveys, the the question was asked uh, as to whether there is appetite for a for a review tribunal, and I think um, from a subgroup, I, I believe it was in-house counsel, there was support for it. But that's as far as I think it's gone in, in terms of countries, and and if if anyone listening knows of another jurisdiction that's implemented it, I, I'd be really interested in in knowing so we can um, we we can see how it's been implemented. But but I think Nigeria is is the first to uh, to adopt this system. Well, that really puts Nigeria on the map. If it is true that you guys are the first, then it's a a good promotion for Nigeria as the seat of arbitration or one of the cities within Nigeria. <clears throat> But thank you. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Thank you for reaching out to us and thank you for joining us. I mean, this is such an untapped resource for us um, to talk to someone from the continent and the region. So it's it's been a real pleasure and very eye-opening to hear more about it. It's been an absolute pleasure and um, I'll be listening to the podcast with keen interest. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much and, and take care. <laughs>
Thank you. Enjoy happy fun time. All right. <laughs> Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Leaving Nigeria, back to Sydney and our hotel room in Darling Harbour in Sydney. We will now instead move on to the law firm rankings. This, let me ask you first, Brian, before I move on to the, the funny uh, quizzing you part. Okay. Uh, as an outsider who doesn't work for a law firm, I sometimes get the impression that these rankings are important. That you have to like spend quite some time working for a law firm and actually making sure that you're on the radar of these various rankings. Yeah, these are application processes. That oh, really? Is that formalized? Yeah, yeah. And they have like a form document that you have to fill in all of the information that you can about cases and. And then um, they take that and they go to clients and opposing counsel and arbitrators and they ask them questions about you. Is that the way it works? Usually, for some of them, yeah. And who are them now? We have the Legal Five Hundred, the Chambers, Chambers and Partners. And then Gar is now ranking people. Yeah, those well, are the one. I mean, the I mean the main ones that people look to. Yeah, and the other the other two are ranking also like other business, but other practices at law firms. It's not just arbitration specific. Right? So yeah, it's for exactly. every, basically every practice group in the firm has the same issue. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, and they have so they'll they have like drop down menus. So you choose like region, practice, and then if you want like country wide or just specific state, you know, region wide or whatever you want. And it can be pretty specific. I I look at these from time to time, although I can't keep them apart. But they have the individual rankings as well. You have like different categories. I don't know if it's legal five hundred chambers, but you have like the up and coming, and then you have like the different bands. Yeah, yeah. Like the senior statesman role or whatever they also have for. Exactly. That's chambers is the bands. Yeah. Well, they both really have bands, but chambers calls it band one, band two, band three. Is this something you talk about internally at firms as well? Like how, how to get on them or is it more like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you say, you know, they're, a, you know, let's work with them because they're like a, a band one firm or something like that. Yeah, you, you definitely use the lingo, unfortunately. So it's important. It's important, uh, the, the term important, like how important is it? But yeah, I mean, it's it's in the conversation, definitely. The, the problem is we have no other, you know, metric to use to discuss how firms are doing against each other. Yeah, you'll oh, otherwise you only have insider knowledge, basically. Right. So this is a way to, I guess, the nice way of looking at it is that this is sort of a transparency measure to provide the general public and also other lawyers who aren't as initiated with some sort of transparent information. Yeah, Do transparent. they charge you? Uh, yes, I haven't been yeah, involved is, in the yeah. chat, but I'm sure they do. Uh, but I, I mean, this, it's such a, it's such a construct. So, I mean, you call it transparent, but it's like transparency that has been built for you to read by someone who yeah, has Yeah, and also, what, I mean, of course, what are the metrics? What's the difference between a band two and a band three? It, it's got to be a pretty significant portion of arbitrary judgment from the people who do it. Totally. Totally. And people moving back and forth. And what if you're, you know, what there's certain like uh, practices that are specialized in certain things that are not characterized on chambers. So then what how does that play into how good your practice is? If your insurance arbitration group is great, that's not really a metric that they have. Yeah. Or how do they factor that? How would you compare a great insurance group with a great environmental arbitration or human rights arbitration group? Like where do those go next to each other? If I worked for a law firm in an arbitration group, I would be a leading individual. That's the title that I'm comfortable with being. 
Yeah, uh, that's as, great. Gen- generally speaking, as a person. And then it's you. How, how, do you know how do you become a leading individual? Is that also just like a significant amount of the people contacted, they praise your individual skills? I don't know how it works internally. I don't know. They could just pick them themselves. Oh, yeah, okay. I don't know how that uh, works. Yeah, this is probably a business secret that they have. You can you can buy. No. That's, that's, I mean, there's so, the who's who is paying for that. So. <laughs> Maybe not necessarily who's who. That's another one, who's who legal. That's true, that is true. I think they are the ones who have the like different calling them statesmen or something else. They have titles as well. It's like a bad psychic when they're like, I can read your fortune yeah. for $200. <laughs> and you're just like, okay. Uh, but a lot of, uh, you have to, but you kind of have to do that sometimes. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a choice. It's that, a personal yeah. choice. But uh, the only arbitration-specific ranking that there is is the GAR 30, which was uh, published. The annual GAR 30 list was published uh, in Paris, actually. You were there. We haven't spoken about that. that you were at the Paris Arbitration Week. Yeah. Did you I, go to the like black tie event when they launched all this no, stuff? No, I didn't. No, that was on Wednesday, I think. You, I was just there you for You were only Tuesday. there for the substance. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was there for the ICC conference, which is separate from the Par- or part of the kickoff of the Paris Arbitration Week. And then I was there for the cocktail. Okay, yeah. So you didn't, because that would sort of change the premise of this segment if you oh, were yeah. actually attending no, 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 <laughs> the no, no, publication no. of the list. Fire away. <laughs> so the GAR 30 is, uh, as we said erroneously in the introduction, is not the busiest arbitration practices. It is basically the world's leading international arbitration practices. Even more of a hefty promise. Yeah, it is. And the metrics, just so that you know what you'll be basing your guesses off of, okay. is, and I'm reading now from GAR, they uh, rank firms primarily on the number of hearings conducted over a two-year period, and that includes both jurisdictional what? and, and uh, uh, merits hearings. Just, that's it? No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> <I was laughs> that like, would be an easy way to game the system. Just yeah. Like fake 50 arbitrations and you're good. No, the factors contributing to a high score include the number of hours billed to arbitration and the amount in dispute in those cases. Yeah. Ranking is also based on the number of arbitrator appointments received by firm members and the number of individuals who appear in Gar's sister publication, Who's Who Legal. Ah, uh, there we go. <laughs> so that is uh, the main factors. Or the, those are the main factors going into what, what Gar looks at. And how do we feel about those factors? Yeah, yeah, I have no idea how they weigh them. Right. I mean, okay, I think some of them are valid. I think some of them are invalid. So looking at the the actual ranking here, mm-hmm. specifically, it's uh, people in who's who legal, pending cases as arbitrator, merits hearings completed in two years, jurisdictional hearings completed, bet the company hearings, large hearings, medium-sized hearings, cases settled, value of current portfolio as counsel. These are the main that they have identified their metrics for, and then they probably have some other stuff as well that's more uh, judgment-based, I guess. Mm -hmm. So those are the factors we're working with, and they rank uh, 30 firms. There's not a single Swedish firm on it, including the firm you work for, which I think used to be on there some time in the past, at least. If they, yeah, how long has Gar 30 been around? For quite some time, I think. Okay. There was a point, when yeah. I started in arbitration, there, there was a popular saying in Stockholm that Mannheim was the only uh, civil law only firm on the top Gar list. I don't know if that, hold, it probably doesn't hold true now because there's one or two Swiss firms on the list, I guess, now. Uh, yeah. Okay, I, I won't reveal anything. Uh, Let's start with top five. You should be able to nail a few of the top five firms, I think. These are globally. Globally, yes. Okay. Very Latham, much so. Latham and Watkins. No. Really? Yes. Fresh, Loving this already. Fresh Fields. <laughs> yes. 
Okay. Freshfields has consistently been number two the last couple of years. Okay. Um, White and Case. Number one. Okay. Right. Um... Then you have, I mean, you did top two. That's good. And what about the top five? Yeah, you have globally. three more firms globally that you haven't mentioned. And at least number three you should be able to identify. Okay. Uh, well, I want to make sure that I'm doing this carefully. No, please don't. <laughs> okay, okay. I sent a training. Shoot from the hip. I want to say some American, like some American firm that's just a juggernaut. What am I thinking of? King and Spalding? No. They're on top ten. Okay. Number seven. Mm. Herbert Smith as number three. Ah, uh, right, right, right. They have right. a lot of offices. They do. Well, that's what I was trying to think. Who has the most offices? And then number four is a firm that, that's climbed the most from uh, spot number 11 last year. They are now on spot number four. That's Quinn Emanuel. Oh, right. So I think they have a, uh, they're in an expansion phase, right? Uh, I think because they hired a lot of people from Allen and Overy. So they sort of immediately... So numbers is something that makes the... <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, of course it does. If you hire two people who are on who's who legal and also sit as arbitrators, then immediately you boost your own ranking. So do you think people are going to get recruited now to, in order to get their GAR rankings up? No, I, well, you, you tell me. Like, I'm who's who, and I have three hearings coming up, and I have this. This is great for your GAR 30. No, but I think that, that that's a good pitch, regardless of GAR 30. That's, like just right. a, that's a person you would want to hire. Denton. Anyway. No. Uh, I didn't even see Denton's on there. Really? Uh, 22. What about um, a man, Sherman and Sterling? Yeah, I thought they would be like a very top, but they are 11 now. They went down from 5 last year. I don't know. Yeah, it's the previous two years. I don't know, because they had the, all the Yuko stuff. Right. I guess they that sort of put them on top for several years. Right. And now maybe they aren't. Well, not, and that's the real action. problem here is that why these metrics are completely skewed is that if you have like a really big year that it just by chance is like, you know, a bunch of tornadoes collide, that makes you a good firm because your scheduling would just like turned out that way that you have a bunch of hearings. And but I think, I think we shouldn't underestimate how much business all these firms actually do have. Uh, also business that we don't know about, of course, because we know mo- mostly about the, the treaty based cases. So Yukos is a better company case. So on this, yeah. on this reasoning... You, the Yukos case would sort of skew, skew uh, the rankings to Sherman Sterling's favor. But then Whiting case on top had 15 bet the company hearings. So uh, on that metric, Yukos would be one. Right. And then Whiting case still has 14 other bet the company hearings. Right. However you define bet the company hearings, but I'm assuming there's a bunch of intelligent people crunching this uh, at GAR or a related sister publication. In India. There's only one boutique firm on the top 10. One firm that doesn't have like oh, a this Google. is interesting. Which one do you think that is? Globally. Yeah. Boutique. Globally. So, uh, and by this I mean a firm that only does arbitration and doesn't have other practice groups, right. just feeding the arbitration group with right. repeat business. Um, three crowns. Yep. Okay. That wasn't that complicated. Are there any other boutiques that are on the list? Uh, on the top 30, um, I guess we could call Lalive a boutique firm. Maybe yeah. they wouldn't themselves. I don't think there's any firm that would call themselves a boutique firm. That seems to be a, a red flag for many 
many people working for these firms. But no, that's the only... And uh, Deran and Garavi in Paris is also on top 30. Top 30, okay. They're actually number 30. Oh, there you go. Otherwise, it's basically all these powerhouses of uh, corporate law. But that's what, I mean, that's really impressive to have a boutique firm being in the top 30 among these huge firms, if, if we look at the metrics. It really is. Number of appointments, number of hearing, amounts in dispute. I mean, yeah. I mean, some of these firms, you have an amount. Of Do you think that this is promoting people to bring uh, counterclaims more often so that they increase the amount in disputes so that their GAR 30 ranking will go up? Good question. That's a question I should be asking. I'm going to raise that objection <laughs> and a counterclaim. Be like, this is erroneous, and they're just trying to get their GAR ranking up. <laughs> now, we have to assume that both GAR and the law firms are bona fide like, actors doing what they're supposed to be doing and not using this... Uh, in ways they're not supposed to. But, I mean, it's a legitimate question. And this isn't, of course, although it, although they would like to portray it that way, this is not an exact science. No, of course oh. not. And that's the problem with the, the university rankings in the U.S. You have the U.S. News and World Report, which is, I remember my mom buying it for me when I was 12. Talk about, you know, Jewish brainwash. <laughs> she was just like, here, Brian, look at what's the best and where you should be applying to. And this is... Colleges. This is like a step colleges, but they also form. have universities, masters programs. They they divide it out. And yeah, I remember when I was at Georgetown, the the T fourteen, uh, the fourteen best law schools mm-hmm. in the U.S. Because of course the rankings vary from year to year. Right. But the top fourteen law schools have more or less always been the same. And Georgetown is like number fourteen or like the one that may be right inside or outside of the T fourteen. And that was a phrase that I learned in the U.S. Like the T fourteen, the top fourteen law schools. As long as you're at the, the top 14, fourteen, you're you're good. <laughs> Well, I mean, they, they if you look at those metrics, because it is, I mean, it's a totally different metric system, but they have, like, um, the amount that alumni pay back to the university, the amount that that graduating students, the percentage of graduating students that get employed, um, the, the starting salary of graduating students, I think, plays a part. I mean, these are so ridiculous. And it, even if we look at this GAR ranking, and, like, I mean, I'm not throwing shade at GAR, but I'm just saying that... It, what if you have a lawyer who's an excellent mediator slash negotiator and is settling disputes left and right? Ha! Huh. They have a, a category, settled cases. Ah. Uh, so they they knew this was coming. Your objection. And how do they get all this? Well, I guess... They From the firms. Right, 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 right. I guess. Which is, I mean, another thing. Because most of them are confidential. Yeah. So I don't know how much they actually double-check... If they even can, because the they firms can. can't give them any specifics. So they, this is an honor system ranking. Yeah, it really is. So like many things in arbitration, it's notoriously uh, unreliable and uh, and arbitrary, but it's also something we all agree on. So it's like the name of the game, and we all agree that this is the way we're doing it. It's like, a, I don't know, uh, some sort of tacit understanding among all the players, and then that makes it valid, because we all agree that this is something we, we play along with. So... Right we should you. make our own ranking, Joel. Let's see how quick it, that becomes legitimate. You know, I, I have. I was telling uh, a partner at a law firm yesterday when we had a, a, like an introductory dinner with a few friends here in Sydney that their firm is my favorite firm. I don't know if I'm comfortable disclosing it because they are not on. Them. It's strange they're not on the top thirty. Really? Huh? You'll have to tell me off air. Something yeah. I hate to hear on podcasts. <laughs> When you listen to these actors, get, I'll tell you the story off air. I'm like, and that's the whole basis for this podcast is that we do it on air, right? When we shouldn't, 
That's true. Well, I've spoken to so many of, you, of your colleagues who've been listening to this segment on, when you were, you were ranting about how much you hate traveling with colleagues. You were talking to them? And they're like, I've traveled with Brian. Yeah. You traveled with me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Didn't even think about that. No, but that's interesting. Yeah, that, let's, let's do our own ranking and then we can do that on our, our favorite. I, I'm the only one who can do that because you are technically like within the, you're on the market. Yeah. You couldn't rank like competitors or potential future employers. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be hilarious. Okay, should we end it here and yes. uh, and go out in sunny Sydney and just enjoy the weather and then go to the opera house that was designed by Klaus von Wobbezer? And... <laughs> exactly. The Mexican architect. <laughs> um, yes, but follow us at the ARP station on Twitter or email us at the arbitration station at gmail.com. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to Ika for having us here. We're extremely excited to get this week started. And thank you to Johan Kunster, our editor, who now has to fight a very strange time difference in editing whatever comes <laughs> out of our Sydney recordings. Jan, make us beautiful. Bye.